Welcome to the KDB Review Podcast. My name is Andy Davis and you're listening to episode 5 of season 4. And today we're looking at consumers and what motivates them when they're improving their homes. What are the overarching trends and priorities that they consider when they embark on a major project and purchase? And what effect has all the lockdowns had on that? We've got researcher Jane Blakeborough from Trend Monitor to talk us through her new report, The Top 10 Priorities for Our Homes in 2022. It's really good stuff and, just a clue, we have dogs analysing poo and noisy kettles. I promise it's really insightful for anyone involved in designing kitchens and bathrooms. But first... We're now well under two weeks to go to KBB Birmingham and it begins on March the 6th. So of course KBB Review will be there for the duration, bringing you not only daily newsletters, but also daily episodes of this very podcast. We'll also be all over social media and of course the Monday night, March the 7th, is the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2022. You need to sign up to make sure you don't miss a thing. So go to kbbreview.com forward slash subscription to sign up to the newsletters. Follow at kbbreview on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. And go to your podcast app of choice, such as Apple Podcasts, to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't actually got your ticket for KBB Birmingham yet, you need to go to kbb.co.uk. And of course, it's all completely free. Okay, a new year always gives us a great excuse to talk about predictions and trends for the 12 months ahead and beyond. So given everything that's happened with lockdowns and COVID, how are consumers viewing their homes and what they need from them? To discuss this, we have the prediction queen and friend of the show, Jane Blakeborough from Analyst Trend Monitor. Hello, Jane. Hi, Andy. How are you? I, I've named you Prediction Queen. Is that okay? Um, it's a new one, but I'll I'll take it. Yeah, there's lots of royal titles to spare at the moment. I've heard. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> as I say, you've put together a new report that outlines the top ten priorities for our homes in 2022, and there's plenty of stuff in there that's so relevant to anyone in the KBB sector, whether they make the products, design the rooms. And some are continuations of ones we've already had, others are newer. So uh, it's just so fascinating, I thought it was worth getting anyone here to talk it through. Give us a background a bit here. What's the motivation behind it? The motivation really was to understand where we are now. When we first went into lockdown, we were asked a lot about you know, the new way of, of living, the new way of working, the new normal. And during lockdown, what we were living through was really scary times. We we had lack of choice, lack of freedom. We were living in quite a lot of fear. So the behaviours that we showed during that point weren't really true behaviours. They were, they were just reactions to what was going on. So we kept very quiet for a long time because we wanted to really understand how these behaviours would pan out because true behaviours happen over a period of time. They they are a series of reactions, not just one reaction. So we knew that in time, these behaviours would settle down. So you've only got to look at the way that we really embraced Zoom to start with and said, oh, great, we can sit at home and, and um, just talk to the screen. We can wear our pyjamas. We can have a cup of tea when we want. We can put the washing on. And everyone thought it was great. Now people are so, so Zoomed out. They, the chance of a live meeting is is a real novelty. So if you were to say at the beginning of lockdown what our behaviours were to do with things like Zoom, we would say we want, we like this. Now we're saying, no, we actually want a more middle ground. So I feel that we've got to the point at the end of last year that we were reaching that middle ground where we could start to really understand about 
where we were going in the future. So we put together a, a really big trend map, which is quite huge. It's on our um, website, which went through all of the all of the trends that are going on at the moment. And that was a little bit confusing. So what I did was pull out the top 10 for the home and say, this is where we think home life is going. And, and actually, in reality, it's very much what was happening before lockdown, but certain behaviours have been exacerbated by lockdown and others have dropped back a little bit. So if you look at the bigger picture, what we're trying to say is actually our behaviours haven't changed that much. They've just been pushed forward a little bit. And that's really what this report says, that, you know, these are these are the top 10 priorities and this is how we think it's going to work in the future. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the word priorities, actually, because, as you say, a lot of this stuff is was, was already happening anyway. Yeah. But perhaps the, the order of priority or the level of priority is, is what's actually shifted. Yes, exactly. And things that we were already being concerned about, particularly to do with health, have been pushed to the foreground and pushed the foreground more about within our home. So we might have been worried about air quality in our homes, but we didn't spend that much time in it. But now that we're spending more time in it, then it's become a priority. So that's that's the way of the thinking behind this report. Yeah, and of course, all these things overlap each other in one big Venn diagram, don't yes, they, as well? Yes, they do. And, and trends aren't, it, it, this is kind of like a linear report, but trends aren't linear. They interact and they they bounce off each other and one trend is, you know, pushes up at one sector of society, but is pushes down another sector of society. So it's that's why we, we try to just pull out the ones that are relevant to the home. Well, let's step through some of these, shall we? Because, as I said, they're all incredibly relevant but um, um, to anyone who, who makes kitchen and bathroom stuff. Uh, and number 10 here, we'll count it down. I should have the top of the pops music or something, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be so much better. In at number 10. Yeah. You call it hybrid homes, and actually, hybrid homes is kind of particularly in kitchens has been have been around for a long time. This idea of a multi-use space, yeah, that can change its use during the day. So, fill us in what you're thinking on that is. Yes, as you say, the the kitchen was becoming more the centre of the home, but since lockdown, we we are having to use it for absolutely. We're using a home for absolutely everything during lockdown. So we're exercising, we were homeschooling, we were working, we were socialising. If you sort of move into where we are now, there's still a lot of that going on to a certain degree. And it, it's just highlighted how important it is that our homes are not just a set of different rooms. They need to have lots of different scenarios and they have to adapt to different scenarios. And that's why hybrid homes are no longer just a set of a dining room, a sitting room a kitchen, a bathroom, all of these rooms can be used for lots of different functions. I think one of the things that was interesting during that whole lockdown period was that your the timetable of your day completely changed. Mm-hmm. So you'd have your dinner time and so the kitchen would be about eating and cooking, but maybe during the day it might be one thing. But suddenly you've got lots of people all trying to do lots of different things at the same time. So I might be trying to work, but my other half is trying to make lunch. Yeah, And you, know, you might have a homeschooling in the corner while you're not me clearly, exercising in the other corner. You know, the, the, the comings and goings past each other have to work within that space as well, don't they, if you're all sort of stuck there together with your own priorities? Yes, and different generations have different priorities. So it's it's just really saying we need to look at how flexible our homes are. And, and this, not just for 
products in the home, but the whole way we design our homes will change. Yeah, and again, if you're a kitchen designer, you've got to try and unpick that whenever you meet a family, haven't you? It's really, really, it's really, really interesting. Now, number nine here, we've got ageless homes. Now, the, the sort of multi-generational design thing has been around in this sector for a long time. But what you're saying here is it's here and it's going to carry on becoming more, much more of an issue as we go on. Yeah, I think this is the one that will actually have, well, is a, is a real key trend because... If we look what happened in the care homes during lockdown, I, for one, would never put someone in a care home. Again, my mother was in a care home during lockdown, so I know what it's like. And if we look to the future now, I think we are going to start looking more about how we can integrate families, several generations, into one home so that we never have this situation again where we're shut away from our elderly relatives. We've also got the issue that we've, we've had for a long time, which is adult children living with parents for longer because of rising house prices, rents. People are waiting longer to get married and start a family. So these are big demographic trends that were happening anyway. So the ageing population has been going on for absolutely years. The rising house price and rents have been going on for years. But put add COVID to it and the way that we are now looking at how we can build a family unit that is more reliable than we have had before means that we we have got to look at how we use our homes and and these homes have to fit across several generations now yeah and that requires products development it requires the way the, the people who design the rooms and design the spaces have to take so much more into account than they have done before but as you say it might mean a little bit more financial freedom to pay for it so it's it's such an interesting area that you've got it in the report here and it's one i've quoted before is the ons as one third of UK households being multi-generational. I mean, that is, that's loads of, and probably they're the, what the households have got all the money. Uh, well, yes, because if you've got your parents living back at home, grey pound and all of that, it's no longer going into a care home fees. It, it is a big chunk of money coming into your home. And people are looking for bigger homes now, sort of more space, more outdoor space, more light to accommodate the more people that are in their homes. It also is one of the issues that moves people away from the cities, isn't it? I mean, I couldn't have my mum and dad in my house. We can barely fit into it as it is in, in South London. I mean, I've got a little space for them in the shed, but they're not keen. <laughs> I don't think they'll pay you rent for that. <laughs> well, look, I give them jobs to do. It's as simple as that. But people need space for that, don't they? And that space is very expensive in cities. And so this move out, again, is a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's one of the, the one of the trends that we've not put in here, because it's it's not particularly relevant to how we live in our homes, is reversed urbanisation. The fact that it, that was a mega trend, but COVID has managed to pull that back. People are moving out of the cities now. Again, the remote working element can can help with that, can't it? I mean, I don't I don't want to move out of the city. There's too much fresh air and cows. I don't want that. <laughs> it's not too healthy. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of animals, here in at number eight. Oh yes, we've got pet friendly homes now. Look, we all love this, don't we? All, we could sit here and talk about dogs and cats all day. I, I just put this in so I put a cute picture of a dog. You don't need an excuse for that, Jane. But, you know, look, everyone's gone out and got a dog, haven't they? It's one of those things that happened in lockdown. Everyone thought, let's go and get a dog. That's why dogs became the single most expensive thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't get hold of a dishwasher, you went and got a dog instead. Yeah, you've got some stats in here. Yeah, 3.2 million households acquired a new pet since the start of the pandemic. 
which is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it, it's bordering on a trend, uh, on a fad, to be honest. And we, I did one of my industry talks, and I, I asked the question at the end: Do you think that pet ownership is a fad or a trend? Because it's such a steep curve. And it's likely to come back down again when people go back to, you know, realize that they can't actually keep a dog when they're working full time and, and the kids don't want to walk it and things like that. So it, it's likely to come back down again, but it's, a, but it's still a, a huge trend at the moment. So we couldn't miss it out. No, but if you're designing big open plan spaces like big kitchens, people do want to incorporate. They are family members after all. Yeah. And there's an increasing move to incorporate where they sleep, where they eat, not just in a corner with a bowl or a bed, to incorporate some kind of place for them within that space as part of the design. Yeah, yeah. and this is why we do reports like this. It means that when the showrooms are talking to customers or manufacturers are thinking about future products, that they actually get inside the head of the consumer before the consumer's even thought that they maybe need a space for the pet, even though they've got the pet already. But if you go to a, a kitchen showroom and they're designing a kitchen, they go, and would you like somewhere for your pet? or your dog, immediately you're tapping into the psyche of that person straight away, obviously, if they have a dog. Um, if they haven't got a dog, then they've missed the point. But it's if you see what I mean, it's, it's getting ahead of the curve. So when the customers are thinking about putting a new kitchen in, then retailers and manufacturers are asking the right questions. Well, in my experience as well, people are a total sucker when it comes to getting things for the dog. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you'll you'll happily save the money and not do it for the children. But at the moment you say, do you want a little a little corner for the dog? They'll be like, absolutely, we do. <laughs> You're talking to the woman that had underfloor heating put in their utility room for their dog. So. <laughs> See, I want to use the word sucker, but I'm not going to. <laughs> no, I'm, no I'm, I'm, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. It'll be interesting to see, as you say, whether that keeps going and Going, I think a lot of people have, have got a dog because they're cute, and then they suddenly realise that it's it's a it's, a it's there job. for the next fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've talked a little bit about this already, the remote working element. But number seven here, you've got office space, office space in the home, and how that you know you need to incorporate home working into what into what you do. And again, lots of people, the kitchen became the office. Didn't yes, they? absolutely. And this is, we've talked about this a lot at home because we're both now working from home, but we only have one office. So if we'd known that this was going to go on for much longer, instead of building the greenhouse, we probably would have put an outdoor office in. Um, But we didn't think it was going to go on for that long. But now homeworking pretty much established as something that's going to carry on going. And companies that don't offer the opportunity to work from home at some point during the week are going to find that they're not going to be able to employ people very easily because it's accepted that this is now the way that we work. So we might as well start planning our homes that have a space for the laptop where you can shut the door, where you can run your Zoom meetings, even if it's only for one day a week. And again, it's just another question that good designers will have to ask and discuss with their clients, isn't yeah. it? So, it's, so a lot of the time it was, are you a keen cook or whatever? Whereas now it's, are you a keen cook, but do you also plan to work from that space as well? I suppose bathroom designers could ask it as well, let's be honest. And- <laughs> multifunctional bathrooms we, we, yeah we will be lying we said we hadn't done a bit of work in there <laughs> right now number six here and this is one of my favorites actually because because this is a very conceptual thing i suppose isn't it but it's checking your health checking your health at home yes it's not a, a massive trend at the moment but people are more likely to start monitoring their health so, you know, we've got the, we've all got the, the Apple watches and we have been doing this for a long time in, in terms of exercise, heart rate, that kind of thing. But 
watch this space for toilet analytics. I can't wait for the first company to launch a mainstream toilet that actually tells you what is going on. Well, and what's interesting about that is toilet analytics was the name of my first band. Oh, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was kidding. Um, but I mean, that's been talked about for such a long time, actually. And I've been doing this a long time, as you know, the idea that, you know, your toilet will report on your health, which is for British people is hilarious, but for everyone else in the world is quite sensible. But the idea that technology has reached a point where you can do that and you know, your phone will basically tell you what's going on downstairs. It seems very fanciful, it seems very ridiculous, but as you say, anything that's preventative or that can spot things early is such an important part of health treatment at the moment. This could happen. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at where we are with the the digital revolution and the amount of data that we collect, data is only relevant and useful if we actually analyse it. So we can collect a lot of data about our health and well-being, but if we can actually give it to a doctor and they can make sense of it, then that's the best use of data. And it will get to that point where we are collecting our own data and giving it to the doctor and say, what does this mean? Or plugging it in and it tells you what it it means. And people are now very, very open about their health. And we've just done some research for a company into um, shower toilets. And retailers are reporting that that customers are very open about their toilet habits now. Whereas before, it was, you know, especially in the UK, we just didn't talk about it. Well, that's next week's podcast episode sorted. <laughs> I'll just go out and I'll go into the street and just start chatting to people about the toilet. Habits. Go for it, though. You get some really good conversations going. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> I don't think I want to know. Okay, number five. Speaking, speaking of toilet habits, yes. um, number five here we've got quiet homes. Particularly important if your bathroom is is anywhere near other people. (laughs) Now, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because you call it in here an invisible pollutant. Yeah. And noise isn't something that's particularly come up during lockdown or whatever. But it is this idea of people want this sanctuary element to their home, isn't it? Particularly if you live in a city, you're always there. People are always there. The Zoom's going on. And you just want a quiet space. Yeah, I think I kind of looked at it from a different angle in that you... My favourite saying is, did anyone know how noisy a kettle was until you were trying to boil a kettle during the Zoom call? And if you've got an open plan kitchen and someone's on the Zoom call on the other side and you walk downstairs and you put the kettle on, it actually echoes around the space. And nobody really knew about this layer of sound until you're trying to do something else that requires, you know, a quiet space. So all of this, which is why we call it an invisible pollutant, we didn't really realise how many layers of noise were building up in our homes until we were trying to do something that required us to be quiet. And yes, we want our homes to be a sanctuary and quiet and all the rest of it, but it's only really when you're trying to do something else that you realise that it's not quiet. And it's, you know, domestic appliances and technologies and poor acoustics are all having a very detrimental effect on our mental health and energy levels. And... It's something that we have become far more sensitive to and appliance manufacturers in particular particular, are very keen to um, talk about their acoustic um, properties of, of of their appliances. Well, I mean, try and record a podcast at home. Exactly. And you suddenly find out how noisy that fridge is when it starts humming. Yeah, or exactly. Or the washing machine suddenly yeah, yeah. goes into spin mode. Like, what the hell is that? Well, that's it's one of the reasons I ended up in the loft, famously, <laughs> was because of how noisy the rest of the house was. So, look, that was number five about being quiet, but number four, we've got 
the clean air, you know, the, literally the air that you breathe inside your house. And, this, and again, this is not something that's ever really discussed in this country, is it, very much? It's not uncommon at all to have air conditioning or whatever in, in lots of other countries, particularly if it's very warm, obviously. Um, yeah. But we just don't, it's not something we've really thought about before. But suddenly, again, this focus on health yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah, it's something that we, we've looked into before and there has been quite a lot of research done about the air quality indoors is really not very good at all. And it's it's very often more polluted indoors than it is outdoors. So it's something that because we're now so aware of bacteria and viruses that are all part of air pollutants, we are starting to think, well, you know, how do we keep our air clean and circulated? Because a lot of how you keep a house sort of insulated and warm is keeping the windows shut. And then we're told, no, open your windows, go outdoors. We need to clear the, the the air through and so we're thinking well okay so so how do we have clean air in the home and I do think that air purifiers will be um, the next big thing for homes yeah I mean obviously we've had extraction as you know have extraction in the kitchen and you can often have extraction in the bathroom but that's more about moisture and, uh, and smells as much as it is about of air quality but it's not a huge stretch or a huge leap forward is it to no. to have you know a filtration system as part of that set up as well right at number three here we're getting to the top three it's very excited who's at number one is it still wet 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 <laughs> god that ages, <laughs> it ages yes it definitely ages it's that one isn't it <laughs> okay number three I guess it's a technology one, isn't it? It's about voice-activated homes, and it's about the integration of you know things like Alexa into yeah. the way we use the devices and, and things in our homes. Now, this has been around for a while, but obviously it's it's become a thing now. Everyone, pretty much everyone, has this now. Yeah, and I think that um, the amount of people that bought an Alexa, I can't remember what the exact figures were, but it was huge during lockdown. And I always said that I'd never have one. And then my brother bought me one for my birthday, and I absolutely love it. My husband, he's sometimes quite rude. And I go, don't be rude to Alexa, that's awful. And it's just one of those things that they've just become part of your house. And the younger generations are, are much, find it much more natural to talk to a device. So it's just become more and more popular. And we just think it will be the dominant user interface going forward because of, you know, the younger generations just find it so natural to be able to talk to a device. And I think when connection becomes ubiquitous, in other words, it's, you can't buy a product that doesn't connect to it, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. You end up just just using it over and over again, don't you? And it, it goes back to also that we are now paranoid about touching buttons and screens. Now, it's not necessary in our own home, but we've got more used to not touching things. Yes, I suppose it's the joining everything together in one command. That's what I quite like about it. So if you come in and you just say, Alexa, good morning, and then it, you know, all the lights come on and then the radio comes on and the, you know, it's the idea of linking everything up into routines. Yeah, as to... I haven't got that far. I can just about say, Alexa, play, take that. Okay, that ages you. Okay, so at number two, in a way, this is kind of the most interesting one for me. It's this idea of, of curated homes. So explain what you what you mean by that. It's about the fact that we now have so much choice for our homes that it's becoming very difficult for us as consumers to make choices because the more choice you have, the more difficult it is to make a, an informed choice. Now, during lockdown, all our choice was taken away from us. So, and that was shown that it's not good for your mental health to be to not have any choice at all but 
on the other side of it, having so much choice that we have now and the, the, the speed and availability of products, you know, you can get on Amazon and, and if you've got Amazon Prime, you can have everything by tomorrow. But it kind of puts us into a bit of a meltdown about how we make decisions. And we find that um, psychologically, you end up with decision paralysis because you've got too many choices. And then when you do make a choice, you have more more likely more likely to regret that choice when you've made it because you've kind of made it under stress because you think, I'm going to make a decision, but there's so many things, it'll have to be that one. So there's another developing consumer mindset that we've talked about for quite a while, which is about prioritizing things that matter to us, which is what has happened during lockdown, what it what really is important to us. And we've ended up cutting back on things that we don't really need and we're being more selective, we're investing in fewer and, and better products and experiences. So it's an opportunity for businesses. I suppose I put this in because it is a, a real big opportunity for businesses to cut down on the amount of products that they are offering and offer a very focused range of products that really meets the needs and requirements of their target market. So rather than throwing everything out there, so we've got everything in every single color, we you know make it a little bit more curated, make it a little bit thought through, make it more selective and invest in better products rather than more products. And you will see a a much, your customers find it much more easier to choose and it's a much more pleasurable experience for customers. So it's, it's a bit of an odd trend and it's pulling together several strands of what's happened during lockdown, the way we were thinking before, and also the way that technology allows so much choice to be there so quickly. And it's it's actually making us go the other way, that we just want things that are just a little bit better in our lives and a little less of things. Well, I mean, I suppose if you're a professional expert, which is what an independent retailer, for example, is, this is music to your ears, isn't it? That mm. you, your expertise is, is valuable and it's worth something, and you want you want someone to help you curate that massive choice. And that's one thing. That's a very sort of personal curation, isn't it? And then, as you say, on the other hand, there's the use of data, being able to hone down through looking at what you like, what you don't like, what you use, and what you don't use. That will tell you. The data will tell you where, which way to go. And I think there was a, there was a trend, I suppose. Is, 10 years more really the trend was that you had to offer everything in every color you know and i can remember lots of different products that came out in that way and that the the, you know, the usp was you could have everything in every color but most people then choose white or, you know, <laughs> yeah, or black or, gray. <laughs> and, and i think you're right actually i think it is about curating something to the point where it is unique to you i think is a big part of it too yeah so it's all about personalization so being able to personalize something so that it's unique to you but it doesn't personalizing something doesn't mean that you have to choose from absolutely every single option and I think it's like I say it's an opportunity for the better retailers to really cut down and say look these are the best products we have chosen the best for you we're not throwing everything at you we've done the hard work for you and this is going to be a really pleasurable experience coming into our shop because these are things that you will like everything and, and again, this idea that a global trend is for everything to become much more personal and local in that sense is, is really, really interesting, isn't it? Now, at number one, Jane. Oh, yes. In with a bullet. In fact, it's probably been number one, and it will be number one for the next decade easily. There's no question of that. And that is, of course, sustainability. Yeah. Your view on it here is you've called it easily sustainable homes. And I think that's, that's an interesting little twist on the fact that, yes, we all need to be more sustainable, don't we? But what you're saying is here... 
We've got to make it easy. Yes, because when we've done research into consumer behaviours, then I don't think there's anybody that says, no, I don't want to be more sustainable. Everybody has that as as a goal, particularly in their own homes. But some of the messages and the way of thinking is a bit too big picture for us. We need to have little easy goals that we can do that make us feel good. Otherwise, we just kind of shut the door and, and it's too difficult so we, we know from talking about people's bathroom habits that they say, yes, we want to save water, but then turn the shower on five minutes before they get in and go make a cup of tea and then come back and get in the shower. So because that's that's a habit that they can't quite get out of. So what this means is that we know that consumers want to be more sustainable, but their behaviours prevent them from being, from being so. So how can we make products that allow consumers to to find it easy to be sustainable, to save water, to save electricity, to recycle, to reduce their food wastage, all of these things that people want to do. Now, I've not given any product ideas. I think it's just there for, to raise awareness that we also want to be sustainable, but we are all struggling. So how can we make it easier? Yeah, and I think that is the debate that goes on now, isn't it? Because if you talk to retailers, for, for example, they just say people never really ask us about it. Yeah which is remarkable considering how, how high profile it is. But then when you think about it, yes, it's easy just to chuck that plastic bottle in the recycling bin, but that's not the same as, in their head, compromising their experience of that fantastic new kitchen or new bathroom that they're, that they're getting. And I think that's the, bar- that's the barrier that needs to be crossed, isn't it? But this is the decade of sustainability. I've said, I said that way before COVID, and I still think it now. COVID has been a, as awful as the whole thing has been. It has been a distraction from the much wider... Th- decades-long thing about about sustainability and global warming and it and it will be such a part of our lives that those companies that don't put it front and center are the ones that will miss out on the next generation of people coming into the market and i think it's it's also the fact that it's recognizing that people might not walk into a, a, a kitchen showroom going i want to be more sustainable but it's something that's in their psyche all the time so rather than making a big deal about it it's about nudging people towards being sustainable in an easy way so they almost don't notice that they're doing it. So it's not a big brag. It's just something that's part of their lifestyle. Well, and as you say, it's about being sustainable every day. And I think it's quite easy to say, oh, well, that worktop is recyclable, but it's going to be there for 20 years. So it's not really a, a relevant thing in that, you know, in that sense. But it's how do we help people become sustainable every day in the way they store their waste, the way they get rid of packaging, the way they can buy things in bulk and where they're going to put it when it arrives. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. and it's that element of it that I think is missing in this industry at the moment. Because I think it's very easy to talk about what's going to happen to that kitchen at the end of its life, but that at the end of its life might be interesting. 20 years time so that's not the important bit right now yeah yeah exactly that's your top 10 jane thank you so much um, Pleasure. you're like you're like the janice long of, of <laughs> this industry's top of the pops <laughs> thank you um, which makes me a kind of weird mike reed i don't know I'm, I'm just plucking names out now that most people listening to this are, no are idea what we're talking about <laughs> no so look thank you so much for this it's always fascinating and again we'll, this time next year we'll do it all over again and we'll see yeah what was right and what was wrong yeah i'd love to find another top 10 top 10 dogs <laughs> yeah top 10 pets for the home yeah top 10 toilet habits oh yes now that could be a good one definitely uh, i can't i can't wait for number two <laughs> Very oh good. dear right on, it's time to go on that, on, on that note jane it's time to go thank you so much for your time we'll speak again soon Jane Blakebra there from Trend Monitor, and you can find out more about the great work they do at trend-monitor.co.uk. 
I love all the top-level trend stuff like this. It's really what nudges and guides and informs specific choices going forward. And at the end of the day, what the consumers are thinking and feeling is ultimately what pays our wages. So, huge thanks to Jane. I'll be back next week with our penultimate episode before KBB Birmingham. I'll see you then. Thank you.